This morning, we are continuing in our series, The Servant King. Our passage is Mark 3, 7 to 19. Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the sea, and a great crowd followed, from Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem and Idumea, and from beyond the Jordan and from around Tyre and Sidon. When the great crowd heard all that he was doing, they came to him, and he told his disciples to have a boat ready for him because of the crowd, lest they crush him. For he had healed many, so that all who had diseases pressed around him to touch him. And whenever they, the unclean spirit saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God. And he strictly ordered them not to make him known. And he went up on the mountain and called to him those whom he desired. And he came to him. And they came to him. And he appointed twelve, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him, and he might send them out to preach, and have authority to cast out demons. He appointed the twelve, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, the, brother, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, to whom he also gave the name Boanerges, that is, sons of thunder, Andrew, and Philip, and Bartholomew, and Matthew, and Thomas, and James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Well, hey, good morning. Uh, good to be with you. Uh, my name is Nate. I haven't met you yet. Um, I want to ask you a question. What's your normal Monday like? Like, 8 o'clock in the morning, what does that look like for you? I'll tell you mine. I'm sitting in my office. I've got a nice pour-over cup of coffee. I'm starting things out really slow. I've got a great book that's feeding me. I mean, not literally feeding me, but just, you know helping me process life and who God is. And then about 11.45, I get on the phone with Emily, our executive assistant here, and I'm like, Emily, here's what's up. She's like, here's what's up. And we talk through the week. And then usually I'm home by the time the kids get home from school. That's my Monday. Why am I telling you this? If you've been tracking in the Gospel of Mark, the first, I don't know, 7 through 12 of what we just read that's like Jesus' every day. It's like, right, like he's teaching, he's healing, he's casting out demons, he's telling demons not to say his name, and like, that's like his day. Like, this is like a common thing for him. We've been saying since the beginning that Jesus is inaugurating a new kingdom, but then there's something that changes here. I don't know if you caught it, but Jesus goes up on a mountain, and he chooses 12. And there are two things that are significant about that. The first is, he goes up on a mountain. And it may not seem like a big deal, but that's incredibly important in the Gospel of Mark. And actually throughout Scripture, in the Old Testament, the mountain was a place that was significant. Oftentimes it was significant with revelation about who God is or what He was doing, Oftentimes, very significant redemptive movements in God's story were on mountains. In fact, just think about one, for example, if you're familiar with Moses, after leading the people out of Egypt, he goes up on the mountain. And what does he get? He gets the Ten Commandments, right? Brings it down, forms the people of God. But the second thing is how many he chooses. Twelve. Twelve. In the Old Testament, the people of God were the 12 tribes of Israel. And here we see Jesus selecting a new 12. 
And therefore, this is not random. This is very intentional. Jesus is forming a new community. And it means something quite significant at this turning point in the Gospel of Mark. It simply means this. God's kingdom breaking into this world, its goal and its healing and its rescuing, saving, transforming work in the creation is this. It's the creation of the community of God. In fact, later on, Paul in his epistle to the church of Ephesus will say that the apostles are the foundation of the church. Have you ever watched the construction of a building? <clears throat> uh, near our house, uh, there, was, um, there was a house that, that actually got, had a lot of fire damage to it. It had to be torn down. And so for about six months, it was just the foundation. That's all it was. Just the foundation. We didn't know what the house was going to look like, but we could look at the foundation. We could see the outline, see where it was going to go. We could see its shape. Well, it's here in the choosing of the twelve that we begin to see the shape of what will be built, this new community called out, and it's the church. And this is the point. Here's what we're going to see this morning. Jesus is forming a new community of imperfect, ordinary people to be with him and to be sent out in gospel mission for him. And that means Jesus calls us to three movements in this passage. He calls us in, he calls us up, and he sends us out. Let's pray, and we'll figure out what all that means. Let's pray. Father, we um, just ask this morning that you would shape us in this passage. That you would make us to be the people that you have called us to be. And we ask you for your help in this time by your spirit, through your word, we pray. Amen. Well, firstly, Jesus calls us in. Uh, William Lane, in his commentary on this selection, he, he says this, In the calling of the twelve, Jesus orders his work and theirs in accordance with the structure of redemptive history and its goal, the creation of the community of God. Let me ask you, what's your goal in life? Or how about this? If you're at work and you're leading a team, what's the goal of your team? or you're in class, you're maybe a senior, or you're an eighth grader, what's your goal in school? What William Lane is saying is that God has a goal. And his goal in all of redemptive history is to make a community. Why? Why would, why would God be about that? Well, let me think about it this way. Think about it this way. Go back to the very beginning of Scripture God is speaking, he's creating, and there's this rhythm that happens in Genesis 1. Over and over again, every time he makes something, afterwards, he says it's good. It's good. And after the final day, when he makes um, male and female, he says it's very good. And then you turn the page of Genesis 2, it's like a different camera lens, different angle, and we see God make Adam, 
And then he says this in 2.18. And it was, it's not good that man should be alone. And just notice for a moment, that is stark. There's no sin at this point. Adam has a perfect relationship to God, and yet God says that's not good that he's alone. And this is more than just finding a significant other. This is actually saying that you and I were made for relationship. That you and I were actually built for community. Even introverts. Okay? Good, you got it. Okay. Now in the next chapter, in Genesis 3, Adam and Eve rebel. And their relationship is broken with God and then even with one another. Remember Adam says, you know, the woman you put here, she, you know, blame, shift, all that stuff happens. And God makes a promise that he's going to rescue all of it. He's going to restore their relationship back to him, but also their relationship with one another. And that means this. This new community that God's calling out, it's a community where he reconciles people back to himself and to one another. And that means if you're going to follow Jesus, that means he's going to call you into this community. He's going to call you in. And I would say this. This is potentially uh, one of the most challenging things about following Jesus when you're called in. And do you know why this is? Because look for a moment at the list. I'll give you two of the people on the list of these original 12. There's Matthew. That's Levi, who just last week we saw was, is a tax collector. You remember how he's basically helping to prop up the Roman oppression system that was there? But guess who's also called in to follow Jesus? Did you catch Simon the Zealot? You know what the Zealots were? They were the conservative extremists of the day. Some of them would actually try to sabotage Rome. And these two people are both called to follow Jesus into this new community. There could not be anything more opposite than that. Now, why is that? Because the very center of this community is Jesus. You are called in by grace. It's, it's not what you do. It's simply being called out, called to Jesus. The entrance point is simply need. And therefore, when you get in this community, all of a sudden, you can't look down at anybody else. You didn't make it in because you merited something. You actually recognize you're a sinner in need of grace. And that's why one of the challenges of this call into this community is that oftentimes we simply like to be with people who are like us. Or oftentimes we like to be simply by ourselves, right? One of my favorite quotes on this is Pastor Eugene Peterson. Remember, this is a pastor making a confession. So listen to what he says here. This is so helpful. This is him, not me, okay? Just so you know that. 
I often found myself preferring the company of people outside my congregation. Men and women who did not follow Jesus, or worse, preferring the company of my sovereign self. But I soon found that my preferences were honored by neither Scripture nor Jesus. I didn't come to the conviction easily, but finally there was no getting around it. There can be no maturity in the spiritual life, no obedience in following Jesus, no wholeness in the Christian life apart from an immersion and embrace of community. I love how helpful and honest Eugene Peterson is telling about his preferences and then wrestling with that with what he sees in Scripture and then moving his life into the actual fabric of immersing yourself in the community of God. Let me help me challenge you. Um, we launched City Groups uh, a few weeks ago. And some of you are brand new in those groups, right? Like this is like week four, week five. And it's, you know, you're still like kind of getting the awkward, shaking off like, wait, who are these people? Who is that person? All this stuff. Can I encourage you? to lean into those relationships, to value those relationships. Some of you, you know, you've been going a while with, with your city group, so it's been maybe a year, two years, and there's new people in the group. And like that, that can potentially throw some things off. Maybe sometimes you're like, man, I kind of like how it was before. But can we just stop for a moment here? Can you just... Lean in for a moment and understand if this is what God is about, calling you into community, then it means this. It would seem to mean that we would lean into those relationships and even welcome those who are new, even as things change. You see, this is how redemptive history is going. It's going towards the community. And that means if you're in that story, you live it out now. And one of the problems is sometimes what we do, um, I remember a couple years ago talking to a family, and this is at a different church, but they're in a small group, and they just, they weren't really connecting well. And they're like, man, we were at this other church in another city, we had this amazing small group, and here it's just not quite what this once was. And it come to find out that, that here's a couple things that happened. The previous church they were at, it was... They were in a group with just young marrieds. No one had kids. And it was this amazing experience. It was a blessing to be in that season of life with that people. And they got thrown into a group in this new situation in which it was all mixed. And all of a sudden what they did, they brought the expectations and the experience here and brought it all into this group. That destroys community. Here's the call. If you follow Christ, your call is to love what is. It is to love those right in front of you because this is where all of redemptive history is going. Even those who you might say, I would never hang out with these people. But Jesus has brought us together. And listen, if we can't do that, then we're no different than the rest of the world. We're no different. We look the same. Do you see how this hits us right now? Jesus is forming a new community and it's the church and it's different than what's out there. 
It presses us into relationships, even ones that we may not normally like. How do you think Levi and Matthew, or Levi felt, Matthew felt, hanging with Simon? Yet Jesus held them together. As Jesus is making this community, it's not only the, the, the inward call, it's the upward call. In verse 14, uh, Jesus says this, so that they might be with him. Think about that. Jesus is calling them into a relationship with himself. He wants them to know his heart. He wants them to know his ways. He is calling them to an apprenticeship. And why is that? There's a number of reasons, but I'll just put it this way. Because they're imperfect. I mean, one of the beautiful things about the Gospels is how honest they are about the people that are there. When you look at the list, think about Simon Peter. In five chapters, Simon Peter is going to rebuke Jesus for saying, I'm going to go to the cross. And Jesus rebukes Peter and says, get behind me, Satan. Peter's idea of what Jesus is about is skewed. He doesn't get it. But guess what? Jesus loves Peter, and so he calls him out. Or think about Thomas in the list here. You go to John's Gospel. Thomas is the one who doubts the resurrection. Even though Jesus told him, even though his friends are telling him, he's risen. Have you ever doubted God's faithfulness and his hope in dark situations? Guess what? You have a buddy in Thomas. Or how about James and John? I mean, this seems like a movie. They're sons of thunder, right? Isn't there a movie out there like that or something? I don't know. You know why they're called that? Because in Luke 9, uh, Jesus is trying to find accommodations for, accommodations for the night, a place to stay, and he's met with opposition from the village because he's heading towards Jerusalem and there's some religious ethnic prejudice that's happening. And James and John say, Lord, do you want us to call fire down from heaven to destroy them? You know? And Jesus is like, no, no, that's not how I do it. No. Um, I mean, they all get it wrong. Consistently. Doesn't that make you somehow feel a little bit better about yourself at this point? That's normal to be imperfect. It's normal to be messed up. It's normal to be sinful. I mean, just think for a moment. Some of you here this morning, you're prone to anger and abusive language. Some of you are ungenerous. Some of us were prone to worry and anxiety. Some of us were prone to stubbornness. Some of us were prone to lying and we lack integrity. Some of us, we are prone to being cowards. While others are prone, loving and enjoying too much, confronting others. And I would just say, welcome to the church. But even as Jesus calls us up, He's calling us to be formed by Him. Right? Not to stay who we are, but to be transformed. 
That's why we gather here, right? So that's why we gather in city groups. That's why we follow him, to be formed by him. Listen, one of the things, um, this is a couple years ago, I was at a conference and, and Keller was talking about the distinctiveness of the early church as it related to the other communities around in that cultural day and how distinct it was. And he listed off five things that marked the early church. So here's where they were. They were a multi-ethnic community. They cared for the poor. They were non-retaliatory. They were against abortion. And they were a sexual counterculture. And Keller made this point. He said the first two are li- sound liberal, multi-ethnic, caring for the poor. The last two are conservative. The middle one is neither. Non-retaliatory. You see, here's a, the moment we're living in right now. You see, one side wants us to go this way. Another side wants us to go that way. And the question is, are we going to follow Jesus? Are we going to be formed by him? And the good news is he calls imperfect people to be with him. You know, one of the things I love is, you know, the the Sons of Thunder duo. Um, John of that duo. Later on, his new nickname was this, the Apostle of Love. Because if you read his epistles, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, over 40 times occurs the word love. He has this message of God is love. Therefore, love one another. We didn't love God. He loved us. Like he just, It's just in his DNA. And where did he learn that? Where did he go from wanting to call down fire to being one where he's actually exiled on the island of Patmos because he's just been preaching this news about this gospel? It's because he was around Jesus. And listen, that means there's hope. That Jesus is patient with you. That Jesus is patient with me. But that there is work to be done. He calls us up. And lastly, Jesus is going to send them out. Look at verses 14 and 15, the first part. And that, that he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. Uh, in C.S. Lewis's book, Mere Christianity, one of the things he writes is about how he first began to read the scriptures and he was surprised at how much it talked about the dark power in the universe, an evil spirit who held the power behind death and disease and sin. But then Lewis writes this. This is, this is, this is how I view the world. It's enemy-occupied territory. This is what the world is. And Christianity is a story of how the rightful king has landed. You might say landed in disguise and is calling us all to take part in a great campaign of sabotage. Jesus is in a battle. It's an epic battle between light and darkness. And spoiler, he wins, okay? But he calls his beloved community 
to take part in the extension of that mission. And here's, I mean, here's the bottom line. Here's, the core of the battle is this. It's the loyalty of your heart. That's what it comes down to. Whom will you serve? That's the question. Um, one counselor put it this way. The devil does not care so much whether someone wins the lottery or one gets cancer. The battle is at the heart. Will you trust and obey that Jesus really is king and that he's really good? You see, this is the king, and we'll see it as we continue on, but this is the king who comes to lay his life down for you and for me, for the forgiveness of our sins to welcome us into this kingdom, all by grace. And then Jesus sends us out with that message, a message about a king and a kingdom, a king who has come to make all things new, to bring his blessings as far as the curse is found. And that means... If you're his, you're sent. You're sent. You're sent into your neighborhood, your office, your classroom, among your friends to share this news about this king and his kingdom. Let me ask you, who are the two to three people around you right now who you are regularly praying for? Do you have them? Do you know who they are? Who are the two or three people, maybe at your office or your street or classroom, who are entrusting their lives to you? Not projects, but someone you genuinely care for. If you don't, if you don't have the names, the faces, where might you start? to grab from this series in August, maybe be front yard people, or maybe think about just around the table, just starting with your dinner, who you eat with. But Jesus calls them in, calls them up, and he sends them out. And we see Jesus laying this foundation of imperfect, ordinary people to be with him, sent out in gospel mission, and that means he's calling us into that. Um, you may not know this, but this week marks the eighth anniversary of Redeemer City Church. I was looking at some pictures this week, and I'll pop up one here. Uh, this was taken uh, the week before Redeemer City publicly launched. Uh, <laughs> Some are still around, some are a lot older, uh, and many new people have joined. But let me put it this way, the, the foundation has not changed. Why? Because Jesus has laid a foundation of calling a community of imperfect, ordinary people who are called to be with Jesus and sent out on gospel mission. In light of this, you're still looking at the picture. Come on, people. You got to take that down, otherwise, you're not going to hear the last part of the sermon. You're all like, find your kid, right? 
Or wait, how many? Um, we'll look at. We'll, we'll post it later. You'll see on Slack. Um, let me let me call you to this. To live in. What does it look like for you right now? Immersion in this community. What does it mean? That next step to love one another. Or how about this? To live up. Where's Jesus at work presently in your life? How is he presently changing you? And oftentimes, I'll put it this way, it's usually in the place where actually it's the hardest. Honestly. Where's the hardest part in your life right now? I think Jesus might be at work there. And lastly, he sends us out. Um, I think after three years of being in COVID and everything else that's been happening the last couple of years, um, I no longer want to live with a functional mission that just functions in a way that looks in. But we have to, we have to, for the sake of the city, for the sake of the gospel, we have to live out. Let's pray. Father, we um, ask you for your help today by your Spirit. Would you help us to apply what we see in the shape of this first community? Would it make its way into our lives? We pray your Spirit would help us to love really well those in front of us. We pray, Father, you give us ears to hear, to be formed by you, not by this world. And Lord, we pray Lord, you would open doors for us simply to love and speak of you to those who do not follow you yet. Not with brashness, but with a humble posture that knows you've welcomed us by your grace and through your mercy. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.